This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. This week, Media Watch looks at how our media are adapting to the new normal created by the COVID-19 crisis. The news media are playing a crucial role, conveying critical information in context, even at a time when the economic upheaval accompanying this crisis threatens the very future of some media outlets. One major source of income has dried up already as the travel industry grinds to a halt, and likewise big sports events, and there have been a couple of casualties already. Michael, this is the last box seat in the foreseeable future. Uh, Obvious the reasons around that programming here on Trackside is going to stop. We'll also be asking what sort of news and information people are seeking out most often online from the almost unlimited supply of stuff that's been published by the news media so far. But first, some outlets are also airing contradictory opinions from presenters and pundits, which could well confuse the public at a critical time, and they've amplified armchair experts at the expense of the real ones, whose messages really need to cut through right now. So we are seeing Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern in her office Uh, right now where she is going to address the nation. This is uh, a measure because of social distancing where uh, the theatrette is uh, not a preferred option for this kind of announcement. Uh, Let's listen in. Kia ora koutou katoa. I'm speaking directly to all New Zealanders today to give you as much certainty and clarity as we can as we fight COVID-19. That was News Hub presenter Melissa Davies live on the air at noon yesterday, introducing Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern's address, in which she went on to unveil the new four-stage COVID-19 alert system to the country. Speaking live from her Beehive office allowed Jacinda Ardern to communicate with the country at a safe distance, as Melissa Davies said there, though Jacinda Ardern did then speak to parliamentary press gallery reporters direct from the Beehive theatrette, as Prime Ministers usually do. But TV presenters are also these days having to rethink the way they do the things they always do, as Melissa Davies pointed out to News Hub viewers after that press conference. I know a lot of you have been concerned about uh, us all sitting close to each other, but you can be assured that there are a number of measures and protocol that have been brought into place uh, here at MediaWorks to make sure we're all safe. We've got a secret little trolley down here. We're not allowed to touch each other. Um, Don't worry, we're not going anywhere near Tom. Well, the planning that news organisations are now putting in place to cover COVID-19 goes far further than hand sanitizer under the desk, as we'll hear. All the big mainstream media news outlets carried the Prime Minister's address yesterday live, but by noon, News Hub had already been covering developments live for three hours from the top of its weekly show, News Hub Nation. And they were still live on the air for another hour, with two expert scientists, Michelle Dickinson and David Murdoch, in the studio. And bear in mind, News Hub is the news wing of the loss-making TV arm of the broadcasting company MediaWorks, which was put up for sale last year. Now, at that time, some pundits were saying the TV channel's could be switched off altogether before the new year. So, quite an achievement that it produced the most extensive live coverage on Saturday morning. The economic fallout from COVID-19 further threatens the financial future of MediaWorks and other companies in the commercial media marketplace right now. And in her speech on Saturday, Jacinda Ardern had further bad news for their bottom lines. We are asking that you limit your movement around the country. This will help us track and contain any spread of COVID-19. That means cutting non-essential domestic travel. More on that later on in Media Watch Today. Now after Jacinda Ardern told the country we're at the level two stage of alert, she was asked in her press conference, well why hadn't we gone straight to stage four already? 
there are public health experts who say that if, unless we go to level four now, we're shutting the door after the horse is bolted, uh, that shutting things down at the point where community transmission is confirmed Jacinda Ardern is clearly worried about people reacting to information that's at odds with what the experts believe. Her final point in her address to us all yesterday was this. Finally, this is a time when I know people will want as much information as possible. It's also a time when there is plenty of misinformation. And among the reporters who was taking notice of that was TVNZ's political editor, Jessica Much Mackay, who said this on air shortly after Jacinda Ardern said that. She also made the note at the end of that announcement there saying, look, get your information from official channels, really reiterating that. I know us in the, in the news media, there are a lot of things swirling around that you see. She's saying to people, trust those official channels. That doesn't mean for us in the media not to ask questions and, and to get more clarification from the Prime Minister, but she said, please don't trust gossip and rumour. Go to those official channels, and that's an important message for people. As we'll also hear in Media Watch today, some in the media have been out of step with the experts and what they've been telling the public. And on his News Talk ZB show yesterday morning, Jack Tame told his listeners that some in the media, indeed some in his own newsroom, have been out of step with each other. There are elements of the punditry, colleagues of mine who just weeks ago were saying this whole coronavirus thing was overblown, that we, that we were overreacting who are now screaming that the government should have acted sooner or that restrictions should be harsher. They certainly have been. After the first major restrictions were announced by the government one week earlier, one of Jack Tame's ZB colleagues, Andrew Dickens, was urging his listeners to get behind them. I don't want to discuss if they're too harsh or too lax. There will be plenty of time to do that later when we find out whether they work or not. Now is no longer the time or place. It's time to just do this. And any argument that might weaken people's resolve and their personal responsibility will only weaken our fight against mitigating the virus's effect. It is what it is, and it's time to do our bit. But that very morning, on the same station, breakfast host Mike Hosking was complaining that the measures were too little too late, having previously warned against the government jumping the gun. And just moments later, Andrew Dickens was joined by ZB's political editor Barry Soper, who told him this. I think we shouldn't be too paranoid about this. Uh, we should do maybe what Britain is uh, doing, is uh, expecting the inevitable that people will get it, a bit like the flu, mm. and uh, then cope with it that way, build up some immunity in the community. Now, that was interesting advice. The UK's so-called herd immunity strategy was being heavily criticised at the time by public health experts, both here and there, many of whom pointed out that not only would it condemn tens of thousands to death, but herd immunity usually works in conjunction with known illnesses where vaccines are actually available. For example, the recent measles outbreak here in New Zealand. And in any case, the UK's government insisted that same day that comments by the Prime Minister's chief science advisor on BBC Radio, which prompted the alarm, were not actually UK government policy. And the next day, the UK's Prime Minister Boris Johnson put the country into lockdown, telling the herd not to roam free after all. But on Monday, Barry Soper at News Talk ZB went on to cast doubt on the wisdom of our government's containment moves announced last weekend. I just, I just hope, for the life of me, that we haven't overreacted to this, yeah. because if we, we have, 
uh, the uh, implication for New Zealand is terrible. I know. And if it's not right, we'll rue the day because mm. uh, the economy will most certainly suffer uh, the most significantly than they've ever suffered. Now, all this is pretty confusing for listeners to News Talk ZB, getting completely contradictory messages from the station's top talent, and there was plenty more where that came from. The following morning, the top of News Talk ZB's website featured no fewer than four opinion pieces by the station's hosts, contradicting each other about the coronavirus crisis and pushing down actual news stories about the same issue. Now that same day, last Wednesday, Michael Boggs, who's the chief executive of NZME, the company that owns the New Zealand Herald and News Talk ZB, released a statement about its responsibilities during the current crisis, headed a letter to New Zealand, and it began like this. It's vital New Zealanders have access to information they can trust and have confidence in. Our commitment to all New Zealanders is that we will maintain the highest journalistic standards as we stay focused on giving Kiwis the news and information they need when they need it. Michael Boggs also said in that statement, we have radio networks, newspapers and websites that connect with New Zealanders every day and we're open to ideas. But one idea would be not exposing the listeners and readers of all those outlets to contradictory in-house commentary day after day. Now these days, opinion pieces are everywhere in the media, partly because they're more widely read and shared, often, than items about the actual news. But, as Hayden Donnell now reports, opinions count for little if they're not backed up with the right expertise. Reporting on the COVID-19 crisis comes with a weight of responsibility for news organisations. Getting timely, accurate information on the virus could literally be a matter of life and death for some of their audience. Many outlets have taken that duty seriously, devoting airspace and column inches to experts like microbiologist Susie Wiles or the Otago University public health professor Michael Baker. Others, however, have turned their attention to a different group, entrepreneurs. And so I guess our concerns are, um, as entrepreneurs, you're very much data-driven. You're looking at these data points and you're wanting to take actions and also very much global. And so the concerns are really, well, how do we get ahead of this in New Zealand and really protect our economy uh, and make the best, fastest decisions um, before it's too late? That's Velocity founder Carmen Visilich speaking on Monday's episode of Seven Sharp. She was there to urge the government to close schools to stop the spread of COVID-19. That may or may not be a good call, and it was echoed by Michael Baker later in the week. But during the interview, Visilich raised a potential issue with her being a prime-time voice on how to respond to a pandemic. It's one of those things that is so unknown for all of us, and as I say, nobody, um, well, I certainly aren't an expert on in this. To the show's credit, host Jeremy Wells pushed back on some of Visilich's points after the interview ended, and a portion of the next night's episode was spent busting COVID-19 myths. I also heard that washing our hands is ineffective and we're just being told to do it because it makes us feel better and more proactive, like we're doing something useful. So people think a bar of soap, it's cheap. How can this be the thing that's helping stop the virus? This is the best thing. That was scientist Michelle Dickinson on Tuesday night, Seven Sharp, making up for Monday night, Seven Sharp. But even as that show was patching up its missteps, other non-experts were swarming into COVID-19 coverage in other media organisations. Given that you're not an expert in public health, why would your opinion and your voice on this matter? That's a fair question. I'm certainly not. I got eight out of 100 <laughs> new e-biology, so I'd be the last one to talk to about microbiology. I'm, I'm a businessman. I think I understand maths. That was Sky TV founder Craig Heatley beginning his interview with Kerry McIver on News Talk ZB with a startling admission. 
Heatley went on to confidently deliver eight minutes of advice on how to respond to a pandemic. Both he and Vissalich were part of a group of entrepreneurs who wrote an open letter to the government urging it to toughen its efforts to combat COVID-19. One of their co-signatories was Nick Mowbray, the founder of the global toy manufacturer Zuru. He also snagged some prime news talk ZB airtime on Mike Hosking's breakfast show. This situation is seriously serious. I mean, America just doubled its cases in the last three days. Mm. If you look at compounding, it only takes 18 steps to go from 3,000 cases to 100 million cases. To be fair to Mowbray, his company has business interests in China, where COVID-19 has been brought mostly under control and says he's seen some of the crisis response firsthand. But like his fellow letter writers, he ranged far outside his area of expertise, business, and into the realm of public health. So too did Trade Me founder Sam Morgan, who wrote a column for newsroom.co.nz on March 11, comparing the growth of COVID-19 to compound interest rates and predicting New Zealand could have more than 20,000 infected people within 60 days. When readers pointed out that Morgan has no relevant qualifications or expertise on which to ground that prediction, he penned another column responding to the criticism. Part of its introduction read, I choose to be a big boy, to be brave, to put myself out there, only briefly I hope, because I strongly believe New Zealand is not yet taking the full suite of actions we should be to limit this pandemic. Now obviously these entrepreneurs can, as Heatley puts it, understand maths. And they may even be correct about certain points. But none of them have the scientific expertise necessary to be held up as trusted, credible voices on what to do during a health emergency where accurate information can save lives. Neither really does a clinical psychologist and occasional TV host Nigel Latter, who appeared on the NZME station The Hits to back the government's handling of the crisis. Are you happy with the way the government has dealt with this? I think our government has done an outstanding job of, of dealing with this. I think what they've done is they've taken measured strategic decisions all the way along and what is a rapidly changing rapidly changing situation. Um, and they're, they're getting stuff right. Latter was also on Newstalk ZB on Wednesday because a Facebook post he wrote came to the attention of afternoon hosts Simon Barnett and Phil Gifford. Gifford, a long-time sports journalist, at least had a moment of clarity before the interview, telling listeners they shouldn't put too much faith in what he was saying about medicine. And in particular, don't rely for health advice on two guys that just happen to be sitting in a radio studio. <laughs> that would be good. If there was one redeeming feature in all this commentary, it's that everyone was urging a cautious and conservative approach to the virus. There was no such reticence from Martin Devlin, who used his ZB and Radio Sports soapbox last weekend to rail against the COVID-19 containment measures. This whole thing is just bat shite crazy. It is absolutely stark raving bonkers. It is cuckoo la la is what it is. And I believe as fine as an intention it may be, it has as much chance of being achieved as young Thomas here does of actually discovering the vaccine. The truth and the bull. It's the Devlin Radio Show. To be clear, the Ministry of Health's advice and all the official data available points to self-isolation as being the most effective tool we have to stop the spread of COVID-19. Devlin went on to tell callers there was no pandemic. I do understand it, but you've got to listen. It's a pandemic now. You've got to listen to those people. I don't believe it's a pandemic. A pandemic killed almost 100 million people at the end of the First World War. That's a pandemic. Because, because they let 
they let ships come into New Zealand. They didn't have anything like we have now. No, no, now. no. What happened, Fran, is all of our good men and women were fighting overseas in the war and they came home like they did to every other country I in know. the world and they brought the flu with them. I mean, you couldn't help it, could you? Football fan Devlin and all these self-appointed virologists, epidemiologists and public health experts could do worse than to take a page out of the book of Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp, who had this to say when he was asked how to respond to COVID-19. Look, what I don't like in life is that um, a very serious thing, a football manager's opinion is important. I don't understand that. I really don't understand it. It, 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 it can, could ask you, you are exactly the same role than I am. So, and it's not important what famous people, what famous people say. No, you have to, we have to speak about the things in the right manner, not people with no knowledge like me. One person who does seem to have taken Klopp's advice on board is News Talk's Tim Beveridge, who had this to say about the newly minted COVID experts on Thursday night. But when it comes to a, a public health issue, I don't really give a toss what entrepreneurs think. I don't. I don't. Not sure what extra qualifications they have to be ad- advising on these things. Um, apart from in their chosen field, they have become successful as business people. That stance seems to be winning converts. Hosking's producer Glenn Hart made this concession about Mowbray in response. Hmm, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Um, I do wonder about people who sort of stray outside their specialist field of expertise to tell everybody else how to live their lives. I mean, he does do a lot of business in China, and yet that business is selling balloons to people. A good point, and hopefully a sign that more scientists and medical professionals will get the spotlight in future. Hayden Donnell reporting there on opinions in the media on the COVID crisis earlier this past week, not always backed up with the appropriate expertise. But lately there have also been some excellent examples of the media using scientific experts to good effect. For example, TVNZ bumped its lightweight current affairs show Seven Sharp for an information-heavy COVID-19 news special last Friday, which was watched by a big primetime audience. Over the next half hour, we're covering all that we need to know to unite against COVID-19. In a moment, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is with us live to answer the big questions about the government's response and what we can expect in the coming days and weeks. At the New Zealand Herald, science reporter Jamie Morton wrote a piece called Coronavirus, How a New Playbook Changed New Zealand's Response. Along with professors Michael Plank, Sean Hendy and Alex James, he analysed a report out of the UK which prompted many countries, including the UK, to rethink whether they try to suppress COVID-19 or merely mitigate its effects. And last week, Jamie Morton wrote another piece for the Herald, The Maths of COVID-19, in which professors Plank and Hendy explained how statistical models track and trace COVID-19. Now, this was all complicated stuff, but it was clearly explained and illustrated by Jamie Morton, who ended up by pointing out that some experts in this field may actually lose their jobs before long in a massy university restructure which could see as many as 50 posts cut. On his News Talk ZB show yesterday, Jack Tame also gave his listeners a glimpse of what was happening in the newsroom. So the newsroom is dividing. There's a red team and a blue team. The teams are going to take turns to work out of the newsroom and work at home. And the teams will never cross over in the office, but for the theory to work in practice, it means you can't do anything socially with your colleagues from the other team either. Physically, you can never cross paths. So at the end of the day yesterday, we said goodbye to each other. 
Well, this week we had hoped to talk to editors at the New Zealand Herald and NZME about how they're rejigging their own operations to cope with COVID-19, what content of theirs is getting most widely viewed, read and shared, and those contradictory and potentially confusing opinions that have been aired at News Talk ZB. But they've been a bit too busy dealing with all that planning to talk to us just now, which is understandable. Now, other news outlets too have taken unprecedented measures to keep their news gatherers safe, but keep the news coming in to meet the unprecedented demand for it. Traffic to RNZ's website, for example, has peaked in recent days. So earlier this week, I asked RNZ's head of digital, Megan Whelan, who, like many, is working remotely from home right now, what was it that people have been looking for online? In terms of the most popular things people are reading, it is all coronavirus. Um, For March, looking at the whole of March, I don't think we get to um, a a non-coronavirus story until you get down to about number 25, which was um, when uh, the former Green Party co-leader Jeanette Fitzsimons died. And it's mostly news. It's mostly our live coverage, our live blogs, and kind of the updates of what's happening right now, the, the top story Um, when we're recording this, is uh, yesterday's live updates. And when you look at, say, the most commented and most viewed uh, stories on the likes of Stuff or the Herald's website, um, high up there you'll see things like the sort of nuts and bolts stories about what are the symptoms, what is self-isolation, those sort of explainer type pieces. Do those rate highly as well for the RNZ side? Yeah, there's a few of those in the top 10, in the top sort of 20. So our most popular one of those is talking to uh, Professor Michael Baker about self-isolation. So the do's and don'ts of self-isolation, um, what the symptoms are, what people can do to keep themselves safe. So there's an indication that the audience wants to know what is going on, like what's happening right now, because this it all feels like everything is happening very fast. We published a, a timeline this morning which shows sort of everything that has happened since late last year, and you can really see how everything just started to ramp up in the last two weeks. And it, so people are kind of trying to find out, what do I do with what is going on right now? What we're seeing now in terms of people looking at online content uh, and the frequency with which they do it, how does that compare with, say, March 15th or, or the quakes in Kaikoura? three uh, record days in a row. So March 15th was our uh, 2019. The Christchurch shootings was our biggest day ever on the website by far. As of this morning, again, right now, we're about 50% ahead up on of March, this time in March last year. And yeah, we've had three record days in a row. I can remember thinking we would never get high, more traffic than that because of the amount of traffic that was coming overseas from that day. And then um, on Tuesday, it just, um, yeah, we sort of got more than last year. And then every day this week has been bigger again. Have there been any discussions about the sort of content that should be up there and perhaps that that shouldn't, given that there is this explosion of, of interest and engagement? You know, we are we are now publishing the official um, health information on the. Uh, it's there on the homepage of the website, um, and we're working with um, the Ministry of Civil Defence and, and the government to do that. That doesn't change our editorial policy, which is uh, doing the news and, and asking questions of those in responsibility. But on most of the stories about COVID nineteen, you'll see a line that we've had, which is that you know we're here to bring you uh, verified, up to the minute, trustworthy information um, to help people make decisions about. Their lives and their health, and 
One of the things we've done this week is we launched a, a COVID-19 newsletter that's being sent out every day at about 5.30. It's, you know, the information that you need. It's what's happened today. But there's also a little bit of other stuff in it. So it's, you know, advice on how to work from home, you know, a little bit of lighter stuff because we, we recognise that, you know, this is a really tough and anxious time for people. We want to make sure that everything we're publishing is trustworthy. So that doesn't mean we're not going to, you know, let people talk about their experience um, of, of what is going on and, and, you know, people coming into the country and what they're seeing. But it does mean that we're going to make sure that it's true and, it, and it's factual. And there was criticism of the government's response if we go back, say, a week or more. I mean, the first wave of restrictions that were announced last weekend when the Prime Minister did announce, um, say, the first self-isolation restrictions. Is, is there a sense that RNZ is not going to engage in that and that uh, maybe they'll report other people's criticisms if they make them, particularly politicians and opposition ones in particular, but otherwise that's not going to be the job of RNZ to go looking for it? I don't think there's anything that stops us asking questions of the government um, and what their uh, response to the situation is. That, that's our job as journalists. It's our job as the media. It's absolutely true. What we wouldn't publish is an opinion piece that says the government is doing everything wrong because I have knowledge that no one else has. It has to come from a place of knowledge, right? It has to come from a place of trust. And so we wouldn't publish a piece that says, uh, the government is doing everything wrong, uh, and this isn't even a pandemic or, or, or something like that, you know, because experts are telling us it is, and, and we, we listen to experts. And has there ever been any kind of dilemma about finding out something that's newsworthy but saying, well, that we, perhaps we shouldn't publish that for the public good? Thinking of that case uh, in Italy, for example, which has been much discussed where a newspaper published the fact that in a couple of days' time they were going to lock down the city of Parma. A lot of people left the city and almost certainly spread the virus and some of them didn't come back. Um, so anything like that that you've heard of where there's been a piece of info Definitely relevant, definitely newsworthy, but RNZ has said, look, we, we shouldn't publish that because it wouldn't be in the public interest. I don't think we've, we've had that in this particular instance, but part of our job here is not to incite panic. The, the stories about supermarkets were busy and there were queues at supermarkets and toilet paper was running out. Part of the thinking about doing those stories and whether we should do those stories and how we did those stories was are we causing people to go out and buy more toilet paper when they don't necessarily need to? So we definitely do think about that stuff. Under normal circumstances, all these things would be happening in the same room with people together. You'd be having this conversation probably about three feet away from me in the studio, but we're not. I'm talking to you from your home uh, via Skype. I'm in the studio. You're there. So you're not far away, but you're not here. And this is, as they're saying now, the new normal, I guess. And how much has that disrupted the normal functioning of a newsroom? For us um, as, a, as a broadcaster, um, someone needs to be in front of a microphone um, and someone needs to be there to, to make the microphone connect to the transmitter. Right now, all our services are running as they are and we've launched new services to be able to do this. We're trying to do some things in more creative ways. So, Colin, you might be putting the program together in your, in your, at your dining room table next week um, and we might have to figure out a new way to publish it to the website. Um, but if more restrictions comes in in terms of people being allowed to go to work, people having to stay in their homes, that is going to get harder and harder. And some of those um, services that we normally offer, we will have to look at what we can and can't actually achieve. RNZ is the, the lifeline utility. And so we have a responsibility to make sure that we can continue doing that. We are continuing to do that. And listeners might like to know that you're currently talking to me with a duvet on your head. 
with a, with a blanket over my head so that the sound is good. It's not my first time doing this. I'd got to go to the Pacific a lot earlier in my career as a reporter, and I've done this a lot of times in hotel rooms with my microphone, with the, the hotel towels and duvet over my head so that you don't get echoey hotel room sound. So it's a, it's a pretty familiar feeling. It's it's quite nice. It's a bit nostalgic. Yeah, that's right. Whenever you get to a hotel room, you always check out the sturdiness of often the, the one single chair that you've got. So whether you can put that exactly. on the table, there's enough room for you to fit your head in and the microphone around the other side and still maybe see a laptop screen if you're lucky uh, and then yeah the quality depth and thickness and deadening ability of whatever uh, sleeping gear you've got <laughs> provided in the, in the cupboard <laughs> mm. what, what material the desk is made out of always seem to make a difference as well but that might have just been psychological as this goes on we may see distinct and sometimes rival uh, media organisations in New Zealand having to cooperate a bit more pool their resources maybe send a single reporter to certain events share content yeah, no, those discussions absolutely are happening. Um, focused at the moment on kind of those live streaming, those press conferences, and whether or not we could work together to do that, to limit the number of people that need to go to those press conferences. That's obviously technically quite difficult because all our systems are different and don't really work that well together, but it definitely is a conversation worth happening. Um, also, the the um, health and safety people um, for, for all those, organi- the big five organisations are working together as well. One thing we've done, as Aaron said, you know, we have um, partnership agreements across the media with about uh, 40, more than 40 different media organisations. All of those agreements um, have sort of different limits of how much the, how much material they can take. We've just said, look, just take what you need. That was RNZ's head of digital, Megan Whelan, in a week that rnz.co.nz experienced record-breaking traffic to its website. As we heard earlier in this programme, these are trying and really worrying times for commercial media companies given the disruption to their own businesses, those of their advertisers and the upheaval in many of the other industries with which they overlap. Many individual programmes, production companies and even entire media outlets are now wondering how long they will survive if things get worse economically. And a few have already signed off for the foreseeable future. This is the last box seat. Obvious the reasons around that programming here on Trackside is going to stop. That was Michael Guerin, the host of harness racing show Box Seat on the Freeview Channel Trackside last Wednesday. But while some race meetings continue around the country, that show won't as Trackside TV's funder, the TAB, tightens its belt. Now one of the hardest hit industries right now is tourism and travel and that's been a major source of income for media companies, especially newspapers and magazines, in recent years. On some days before the current crisis broke, ads for long-haul travel and international cruises made up the majority of display ads in daily and weekend newspapers. On Thursday morning, for the first time ever, the government advised New Zealanders against travelling anywhere overseas. And then, in the evening, it closed New Zealand's borders to foreign nationals from Friday onwards. Now, foreseeing at least some of this sort of fallout, both major newspaper publishers here last week announced campaigns backing domestic tourism. Stuff called its one, Back Your Backyard, and it says the aim is to boost the business and people who make New Zealand great. Rival publisher NZME has also launched a company-wide tourism campaign called Go NZ, harking back to the Don't Leave Town Till You've Seen the Country campaign back in the 1970s and 80s. There are daily double-page spreads on New Zealand regions in the New Zealand Herald, on its website, and in five regional daily newspapers in the North Island. And NZME's radio networks are backing the campaign too, including Newstalk ZB. By the way, I'm giving, you, I'm giving away Air New Zealand flights after one o'clock today. 
uh, to help the Fantastic. domestic uh, uh, tourism sector, which makes up 60% of our tourism yeah. dollars. ZB host Andrew Dickens last Monday, and the blurb for NZME's Go NZ campaign also says this. As a proud New Zealand-owned media business, we believe we have a critical role to play in leading the way. And now, with a coronavirus pandemic loose in the world, there's never been a better time to dust off and update your domestic tourism bucket list. But sadly, events since then and yesterday's announcement from the Prime Minister have pulled the rug out from under that particular initiative. We are asking that you limit your movement around the country. This will help us track and contain any spread of COVID-19. That means cutting non-essential domestic travel. Not even government ministers will be flying around the country very much in the weeks ahead, the Prime Minister said yesterday. But even as the ads for overseas travel dried up in our media as coronavirus took hold around the world, some of the travel content has kept on coming. Uh, I'm about to introduce our special guest, who I'm very excited about. But first, I just want to tell you about a competition we've got. You can be in to win a $2,000 house to travel voucher. Well, that was how the latest edition of NZME's fortnightly travel podcast, Trip Notes, began last Wednesday. But there was no information about coronavirus in that podcast. Indeed, no indication that overseas travel had become virtually impossible, not to mention totally unwise. Maybe you can go to Sri Lanka together. (gasps) You heard it here first. (laughs) Yeah, nice. Amazing. Well, if you're going to plan to go to Sri Lanka at some point, then maybe you'll see Lily and Lucina there as well. (laughs) But of course, no one's going to Sri Lanka anytime soon, and especially not Lily and Lucina from The Bachelorette. The same day that went online, TVNZ announced that a contestant on The Bachelorette was being tested for coronavirus. People exposed to that person were in isolation, pending test results, they said, and that included one of the star hosts of TVNZ's Seven Sharp show, which began that night like this. I am without a co-host tonight. Jeremy is not in the studio because he's one of a number of people at TVNZ who are in self-isolation as a precaution. Jeremy's well, but like everyone else around the world, it's important that we are cautious. Viewers of TVNZ1 the next night saw the Prime Minister announcing the closure of New Zealand's borders live on the 6 o'clock news. Just a few minutes earlier, the same viewers heard this from a contestant called Rory on the UK TV game show The Chase. If you won some money today, what would you do with it? My wife and I, we're already scheduled to go to New Zealand, so this will make it the beautiful trip that it deserves to be. Well, that episode of The Chase was filmed last year in the UK, so we do wonder if Rory and his wife had their big trip here after all. If not, it's probably gone up in smoke by now. Well, that's all we have for you in Media Watch this weekend, but the Media Watch team will be back with more on the media in Midweek Media Watch with Karen Hay on The Lately Show at about 10.30 next Wednesday night. And then back again for more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.